If you'll open your copy of the scripture to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 21 through 24, is where we shall draw from the word of God for our edification this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In case you may uh, be wondering, uh, those of you who have been with us for some time, and members in particular, when I am going to get back to Matthew, I am. <laughs> Probably Sunday. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 21. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave, likewise he who was called while free, is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. I'm using as a title this morning, Free Slaves. Your social or economic status is not the most significant reality about you as a Christian. Those things are, do not ultimately define you. Moreover, they are part of that which is impermanent. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 31 these words and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it here are the important words for our discussion for the form of this world is passing away those words the form of this world is passing away tell us that the way things are done in this age are not durable they are even at this present time on their way out in the plan and power and providence of God. What is lasting, what is invincible to ending, is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul makes this point by three illustrations of social and economic and religious circumstances in life experienced by the Corinthians. Uh, those illustrations come from marital status, circumcision or uncircumcision, and slavery. The last one, slavery, will serve to help us understand what is most significant about us. Now, I know the very concept of slavery because of the history of our nation is reprehensible, but you understand we're not talking about American slavery in the South. We're talking about Greco-Roman slavery. And that's in the Bible. It's inescapable. But God can take what is reprehensible to man, what is detestable to him, and use it to impart to us truth about ourselves in relation to him. And so we'll look at that. Spiritual truth. Slavery serves for us as a metaphor to instruct us. For example, unconverted people are said to be slaves to sin. Slaves to unrighteousness. Romans chapter 6 verse 17. And that is a reality. 
people may think they are free in their life, but if they are lost, if they don't know Christ, they are in effect, according to the word of God, they are slaves. On the other hand, believers are said to be slaves of righteousness. Romans 6.18, slaves of obedience. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6 tells us that we are slaves to Christ. In the New Testament, the slavery metaphor, therefore, is inescapable and essential in illuminating Christians' understanding of themselves, especially as it relates to salvation. And here's a paradox. It's a paradox in this idea of freedom and slavery that's presented in Scripture for those who are related to Jesus Christ by faith. And we see the paradox in verses 21 and 22. And therefore, I'm giving it the heading, the paradox of our salvation. Verse 21 and verse 22. These two verses teach us the truth about our salvation, as I've indicated, in seemingly contradictory terminology. The paradox, however, yields understanding of our status due to our relationship with Christ as Christians. And we need to look at what the Scripture is telling us here. In, in verse 21, it says, that, Were you called while a slave? Were you called while a slave? The first matter we must comprehend is the profound doctrinal truth bound up in the word called. Call refers to the summons extended to the elect, God's elect. That call that is given to them to come to Christ in salvation. This is the meaning and use of the word klesis, called, in the New Testament epistles. To expand or to elaborate the definition, the gospel invitation extends a call to salvation to everyone who hears it. But to bring the elect to salvation, the Holy Spirit extends to them a special inward call contained in the gospel message. Through this special call, the Holy Spirit performs a work of grace within the sinner, which inevitably brings him or her to faith in Christ. End of quote. When the Holy Spirit does his work in the life of the sinner, the sinner is enabled to understand and believe spiritual truth. Prior to that work of the Holy Spirit in the heart, the unbeliever cannot understand it. In fact, according to the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, uh, the things of the Spirit are foolishness to them. It is moronic to them. It is stupid to them. The idea of the gospel that Christ went to a cross and made an atonement for sinners and was buried and raised the third day, the mind that has not been minister to, the heart has not been enabled by the Spirit of God. Those things I've just said are foolishness. When the Holy Spirit is at work, 
as he is when he summons the elect and the call, what he does, he gives a new heart. He gives a new spirit. He gives a new disposition. He gives understanding. This summons, our call, is designated by theologians also as efficacious grace. Because it is always effective. It is a work of grace on the part of the Spirit of God in calling the elect to Christ. It's a work of grace. Grace, what we mean by that is a simple definition, unmerited favor. Do understand that God owes us nothing. He is in no one's debt. We're in his debt. We violated his moral law. We sinned. We owe him big time. The reason if you're a Christian this morning is because of the grace of God. He gave you what you didn't deserve. He favored you. Thank him that he didn't give you what you deserve. He could have left you in darkness. He could have left you blind spiritually. He could have left you deaf to the truth. He could have left you there, but in his grace, he called you. It's grace. Another way the theologians designates this supernatural work of the third person of the Trinity in this call is irresistible grace. The one who receives it does not resist the call to believe in Christ. What we're saying here, it is not that he or she is coerced. When we say you don't resist, it's not that you're forced. Some have caricatured irresistible call, the irresistible call, as people being dragged, kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God against their will. I don't want to go. I don't want Jesus. I don't want God's going to force me into it. Uh, that's a lie. No, no, no. God doesn't force people into the kingdom. Really, what the deal is, the inward work of the Spirit makes the heart willing and glad to come into the kingdom. There was a point in our life when someone suggested to us becoming a Christian, that didn't meet with our approval. We wanted nothing to do with it. But when the Spirit of God called us, that inward call came to us. Our whole attitude changed. And then at that point, we were willing. We saw the glory of Jesus Christ. We saw his majesty, his power, and his love. And we said, yes, I want him as my Lord and Savior. That is a willing response. That's what happened to us. It's gracious work. We were called. The elect received the call because God foreknew them. Foreknew. Not, 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 we're not talking about last week I talked. He is not talking about it. He just looked down and said, oh, I see Terry Wilson. Come on. No, 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 no. He foreknew me. He foreknew every child of God. He set his love on those people. 
he determined to have a love relationship with those people. God the Father said, I'm going to love them. He loved us before we knew him. He loved us before there was us, physically. He loved us before the foundation of the world. He loved us back in eternity past. He set his love on us. He foreknew us. He, then he predestined us. Predestined, marked us out. He said, you. 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 God didn't have to do it like I'm just doing illustrations because in the divine mind, he did that in eternity. He marked us out. And in during human history, he called them. Then he justified them. And he will glorify them. Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. What I just gave you is what is called the golden chain of salvation. Each link, foreknowledge, predestination, call, justification, glorification. From eternity past to eternity future. Each of those are linked in this chain. And God is the one who forged the chain. Salvation from start to finish is from God. Now, when Paul said that, were you called well a slave? He's talking about the call to the Corinthians. One more thing about this call. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. Paul tells them, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let me just um, unpack that for a moment. Fellowship koinonia is the familiar Greek term used throughout the New Testament. Koinonia means partnership. It means oneness with Christ. It means sharing his life. What kind of life does he have? Eternal life. God called us at salvation to share in the life of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that life is eternal life. He called us to Participate with him in it. When he called us into this koinonia, we now have eternal life. That's what it means. Prior to the call, we didn't have that. We didn't have that fellowship with him. We didn't have that partnership with him. We didn't have that oneness with him. He who is one with Christ is one spirit with him, as it says in 1 Corinthians six seventeen. Join to him. If you're a Christian, you have eternal life just like Christ does. Because it's his eternal life that he is sharing with us. And Paul writes here back in verse 21. 1 Corinthians 7. Were you called 
while a slave. Paul here is not approving slavery. Rather, he is saying that they and we may serve Christ no matter what our state, no matter what our station in life. You see, it doesn't matter where you are socially or economically, ultimately. It doesn't really matter how men perceive you. What matters is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that's what matters most of all. What really is essential for us is at the bottom of verse 19. Look there, it says this, but what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Underline that in your Bible. That's the essential matter, obedience. Remember last week in 1 Peter chapter 1, we talked about the reality we were sanctified by the Spirit to obedience or to obey Christ by the sprinkling with blood. The reality is we have a relationship, a covenant relationship, whereby we are agreed when we came to faith in Christ that, yes, I'm going to obey you because you're my Lord. That's what real Christianity is. No matter what your status in life, even if it's a hard life, obedience. That's what Paul is saying. Now, 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 do understand, some of the members, obviously, of the Corinthian church were slaves. And why he says what he does in verse 21. As were members of other New Testament churches throughout the empire, the empire Roman Empire. That's why you'll read, you see that word slaves or slavery in the New Testament epistles. Because occupying the worship, when they gathered in the house church, on Sunday, the Lord's Day, there were men and women who sitting in there with other men and women, and some of them were slaves. And Paul has a word to them. You need to understand what it's like for them. John Phillips, commentator, he says this, quote, a slave had no rights. He could be tortured or killed at his master's whim. Any revolt on his part could lead directly to a cross. End of quote. You thought your life was tough. You were called while in that condition. Now, admittedly, in America, we have it a lot better because uh, we have legal recourse. Those folk did not. Verse 21. Paul continues. Do not worry about it. Don't become anxious because of your situation. Why? Because you can serve Christ even in that situation. You don't have to wait for things to get better. Things to look up for you to be faithful to Christ. But, verse 21, if you are able also to become free, rather do that. If the opportunity presents itself for freedom, take it. And I dare say everyone in this room would do that if we got it, wouldn't you? You Say, I'm taking the upgrade. 
Now, we're going to look more closely at this uh, paradox. Paul uses this little preposition here for. He wants to explain to us. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave. Let's stop here. We see part of the paradox. Uh, A literal slave of men is what he's meaning. Called in the Lord while a slave. Here's the paradox. Is the Lord's freed man. The Lord's freed man? What do you mean? I'm uh, a slave. I have a master. And Paul, you're saying, oh, no, no, no. But you might have that, but you're the Lord's free man. Freed man how? Please tell. Where it counts most. Free from the shackles, as it were, of sin and its penalty of eternal judgment. You're free from hell. You're free from Satan's power in his kingdom. You're freed from sin's tyranny. It's mastery. Romans 6 verse 18. You've been freed from those things. Christ is your emancipator. He has liberated you from those things. That is being the Lord's freed man. And that's what matters most. Be frank with you. I wouldn't want to die a slave to sin. Be the freest man on the planet, but a slave to sin. You know what? That's not a good deal. Charles Wesley, the great songwriter, his hymn, And Can It Be, provides a a musical and lyrical expression in the third stanza of that hymn. Listen to these words. About our freedom. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I awoke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's what happened. When the Lord freed us. The text here. Continues verse 22. Likewise. He who was called. While free. Is Christ's slave. Aspect of the paradox. A free slave. Free slave. Those who weren't literal slaves when called to salvation, became slaves to Christ. You know what's interesting? Either you're a slave to sin or a slave to Christ. Ain't nobody ultimately completely autonomous. You got that? You're a slave to the body or something. We're now enslaved to God. Romans chapter 6 verse 22. And whatever we do, we do it in terms of the workplace. And uh, it was a job, in effect, for slavery. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. I want you to listen to these words. Go there with me for a brief moment. Uh, 
slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh and with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Did you see that? Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart. So tomorrow morning you say, well, I'm not a slave, but you're going to work, right? <laughs> this is how you to work. You are to be obedient to your boss. You to do it with a sincere heart as to Christ. You say, my boss, yes, this man, but I'm really serving Christ. Not by way of eye service, you know, just making work while he's looking at you. She's looking at, oh, I'm busy. They're out of the room. <laughs> Let me get some donuts. <laughs> Doing the will of God from the heart. I want you to know something here. Verse 7 With goodwill, render service as to the Lord, not to the men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back, back from the Lord. Speaking of Jesus, whether slave or free. You see, uh, Christians, Christians need to understand something. We're waiting for our reward from the Lord. See, he's at the workplace. Yes, Jesus is there because he's omnipresent. He sees everything. He sees when their corners cut. When there's dishonesty, when there's not a, a full day's work for a full day's pay. He sees all of that. But if you're doing it the way he says do it and he's watching, he'll reward. It says it in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It's future. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. You see, you're a Christian at work, and here's some non-Christians. You're different from them. Because you're serving the Lord Christ, they're not. All they're going to get is a paycheck at the end of the day, or the end of the pay period, or whenever it comes, or electronically. I worked with a man some years ago. He said two favorite things about work. Quitting time and payday. <laughs> That's the mindset of many people. You say, I know some workaholics. Yeah, there are workaholics. They're doing it for them. They're doing it for what they can get out of in this life. But for the Christian, it's vastly different. We serve him and he sees and he'll reward. It's the Christian perspective. Christian perspective. So we've seen, going back, if you will, to our text, the paradox of our salvation. We need to see the price of our salvation. Verse 23. You were bought with a price. 
Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. The word bought highlights spiritual reality regarding our salvation. Christ bought us. He purchased us. We are His. Divine ownership. Bought translates a common commercial term of those days. A gorazzo. A gorazzo derives from agora, meaning marketplace. It speaks of buying and trading, especially of purchasing a slave with a view to his freedom. Agarazzo also means purchasing in the marketplace of sin. James Montgomery Boyce writes, to be a slave of Jesus Christ is true freedom, end of quote. He purchased us. He purchased you. You bought and paid for. The payment price for our freedom is the blood of Christ. Only his blood, that is his death, that's what it's talking about. Only his death could purchase our freedom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this in verse 7, For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. The Passover was sacrificed. His blood was shed for others, and that's what Christ did. He shed his blood for us. There's only way we could be purchased. If you hadn't done that. we would still be slaves to sin, hell-bound. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul is speaking to the elders at Miletus. He's uh, giving them uh, instruction, and he says something profoundly significant about the church. Verse 28, Acts chapter 20, it says this, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. Get this, which he purchased with his own blood. Jesus Christ is God. This is a deity passage. And because he's God, he had a body and he shed his blood, he died. The unity of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ was such that Paul could even speak of death as a shedding of the blood of God, end of quote. God has no body, has no blood. But Christ, who is God, became a man that he could do that. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Here's uh, the reality. Christ is praised in heaven. He's going to be praised in heaven. Because he's the one who's worthy to take the seal. To release the seals and bring judgment upon the earth. And in heaven, they're going to sing a song. 
Revelation 5, 9, it says this, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased a garazzo for God with your blood. Men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Let me, uh, tribe, descent, tongue, language, people, race, nation, culture. He purchased for God. Now let me tell you something. Do not think that the payment was made to Satan. Some people in church history have said as much. It's not true. No, the death of Christ satisfied God's wrath and justice. It was God's law that we violated. I said earlier in this sermon, we owed him. We had a moral debt. And that debt had to be paid. It's going to be paid by a substitute, Jesus Christ, or us. Jesus did it on the cross. The three-hour time span taken care of. A person who dies without Christ, they will pay the debt forever and ever and ever and ever. I keep saying forever. I want to stress it is unending. The payment was made to God. In fact, uh, I put it like this. The payment was made to God and God himself made the payment. Only God can make the payment to God. Who's, who can pay God? You can't. We were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ. First Peter chapter 1 verse 18 tells us. His death paid it. And he paid it all. I'm glad about that because it means I don't owe anything. Zero balance. My debt has been discharged. I don't have to come up with one scintilla of anything. The B portion of verse 23, do not become slaves of men. We are slaves of Christ. Uh, Don't become slaves of men. Why would Paul drop that here? Because it's so easy for Christians to do that. You live and you can adopt their attitudes, actions, and all of that. Do not become like them who are in the flesh. Sinful men. The ways of the world. Don't do what they do. You belong to Christ. You're his slave. And you obey your perfect master. Who not only is a master who commands us, but he's a master who died for us. Boy, you can't get a better Lord than that, can you? So Paul concludes this session, at least a section, at least for us. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. Here's the principle. Wherever God called you, whatever circumstance, stay there until he moves you. When he says, move, say to everything, adios, and go. Until then, stay there and serve Christ. For he is our worthy Lord. Is he not? He's our worthy Lord. He is our master. 
How do you know what he wants? How do you know what he wants you to do? His book. He tells us how we're to live. So we're free, but yet slaves. Praise be his holy name. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for um, the realities that we've just studied. We pray that you help us to take them to heart and meditate upon them, chew, as it were, on them, think about them this afternoon and tomorrow. And so, Lord, help us in our own minds and hearts to renew afresh our commitment to submission to our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. See him as indeed our master and we his slaves. Deliver us from the perversions of that concept and as awful as it is that men have used. Help us to see the glory of the gospel in this reality of a master-slave relationship between us and Christ. And we thank you for this glorious reality. As Christians, we belong to him. I pray for those in this room this morning without Jesus Christ that you open their hearts to him. Call them effectually. They may experience the new birth and the joy of following Christ. We pray you do these things for your own glory and praise. Amen.